Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, I am very excited to have our annual episode, which I didn't know was an annual episode until it occurred to me we need to have an annual episode on this very topic. It is the state of the Los Angeles Rams, the one of the most interesting teams in football year after year. And joining me to talk about that is one, perhaps the most qualified person on the planet to discuss the Los Angeles Rams and the very compelling year they've had after a conversation we had a year ago where it felt like they were in totally different straits. Joining me to discuss that is the athletics, Jordan Rodrigue. Jordan, it's been a year. Happy Happy New Year, Bill. Yeah. And, and I, you know what? It's it's um every year something interesting slash chaotic is happening with this team. And when I say chaotic, I, I don't mean always chaotic, bad last year, chaotic, bad, probably, yes. but, um, 2021, we talked, I, I believe we talked ahead of the super bowl 2022. Mm-hmm. We talked, uh, am- amidst the implosion and yes. 2023, uh, we're talking uh, above the, above the, um, the wreckage that grass has since gr- grown over and trees are starting to bloom again. So this is, a uh, this is fun. This is why we have an annual state of the Rams is because something <laughs> they they whiplash so frequently. <laughs> it's, we just got to track it and hang on for dear life for for an organization and a team where like the meme around them for so long was seven and nine, the, the, the Jeff Fisher era. It feels like that is the one thing they cannot do. <laughs> seven and nine is lava. Be seven and nine. <laughs> we will be we will be great. or We will be terrible. And there is no middle ground. And and. It's so fascinating. I went back and looked at um, our conversation we were having about the, the show a year ago off the air. And I'm just going to set the scene for people who have forgotten how far the Rams have come and how different the situation is. So a year ago, Jordan and I were talking about a Rams team that was about to finish 5-12. and 12. We were not sure as we recorded, a couple of days later that changed, as we recorded, we were not sure whether Sean McVay was going to come back. The roster was a bloated mess. There were bad contracts, players who had not worked out. Um, the coaching staff was a mess. I guess I'll just start with this. I mean, how surprised are you that we're sitting here about one year later and things have flipped so dramatically in the other direction and we're sitting here with the Rams as a playoff team? Yeah, I, I will say my perspective is a little bit different than I think the the surprise that rightfully is happening on the outside. I think mm-hmm. if you if you look at this roster on paper, and a lot of people did, um, it, it looked like a mess in the spring. I mean, it was one quarterback, no kickers, still arguably no kickers. Um, <laughs> like, wow. And and it and and it's, but it was it was forty four rookies and or new players on their 90 man Mm. roster entering training camp. And so, but for me, I have a little bit of a different perspective because I I'm there every single day and I see things every single day that they were telling you what they were going to (laughs) do. And you almost, Mm -hmm. you almost feel like, am I getting faked out in in the, (laughs) in the first times that they're, they're telling you literally what their plan is and what they're going to do. They said, we're going to be really disciplined. You know, I remember in February, I came home from the, the combine where we always get our, our information and our reports ahead of mm-hmm. free agency. And I came home from the combine with this report that basically outlined exactly what the next two months were going to look like <laughs> in terms of um, 
you know, and this was from team sources in terms of getting rid of some, some uh, key and, and beloved by the fans and rightfully so um, defensive pieces, stripping down two and a half, almost all three, but two and a half, certainly phases of their roster as the sort of sacrificial lamb for getting younger, um, for keeping intact the three, as Les Snead calls them, weight-bearing contracts, weight-bearing walls on the roster, which are Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup. Um, drafting, uh, using a lot of draft picks, though though no first-rounders that year, um, to develop and regain their middle class with the, the hope and potential that a few outliers um, popped up. And boy, did they. Um, and, um, and then, and then staying extremely disciplined through the entire season, the holes that they had pass rush, some of their coverage, you know, special teams, those were going to be the holes through the year. They were going to fill those with developing players and, or, um, patched them up with, uh, some key veteran acquisitions, um, cheap, importantly, cheap ones. Um, and they, they, they outlined all of this and then Kevin Demoff comes out with a letter that says, I'm more excited about this team than I was before the 2022 season. And also, by the way, I think we have a shot at the playoffs, and I'm paraphrasing. And and they're still telling you what their plan is <laughs> openly. <laughs> and you and you look at them and I and I and I have had I had at that time back then, I had some many are you serious, bro, conversations um with people in the organization. Are you really can this work? And but mm-hmm. you saw through every phase of the calendar and certainly every single day, step by step by step, what people weren't factoring in, I don't think, on the outside was that Sean McVay overhauled his entire most of his coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, that Sean McVay did a lot of hard work personally this last offseason to kind of get back to some of the fundamentals of coaching that he openly admits he just lost. And mm-hmm. that that the 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 draft and develop phase of this team has always existed just in a different right. team building model and mm-hmm. so that's what i think was overlooked about this team and so you you saw it and again my perspective i, I understand why people are surprised and and i think it's fair i'm not i'm not a receipts person but i i, <laughs> I really i sit there and i think it's it was fair to to be surprised by this team um nobody in the building is surprised and nobody was mm-hmm. surprised because that this is what they said would happen and they were measuring success by can you grow can you develop and and you're watching mm-hmm. them grow every single day i mean i'm coming away from these joint practices in the training camp first of all the spring you're watching them reteach drills for the first time <laughs> which was a wild experience they're they're repping how to do the drill before actually doing the drill that's what their <laughs> otas looked like and then and then you go into training camp in the summer and they completely restructure the way that they practice. And uh, hopefully we touch on that a little bit later down the road in this conversation, because I think it's important, mm-hmm. but they completely restructure the way that they practice. And then they, they go to these joint practices and you hear these mutterings from, you know, the Raiders and from the, um, and from sources, you know, within Denver that, that mm-hmm. um, man, these guys play really hard. <laughs> like <laughs> these guys, uh, we're surprised. These guys play hard. They go to the, they, they, they open the season. They, they, um, you know, put a beating up on the Seahawks and you hear Seattle players on the record saying they played harder, you know, than, than we thought they would, or they played harder, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was, and you saw the pieces sort of stacking one by one by one incrementally. And, and that's what, by the way, as an aside, that's what I truly cherish about beat writing is this, this, unlike any other year I've experienced in my life was you got to see 
small change over time and what it can turn into. And mm -hmm. that's really what reporting at that level is, is covering incremental change over time, recognizing patterns and seeing how the small movements create a ripple effect. And this is the ripple effect that you're seeing now. So you certainly, it took a moment for that ripple effect to sort of result in victories. The Rams were, they got off to a hot start, did beat the Seahawks comfortably. They were three and six at the bye before winning six of the uh, most recent seven games after the bye. And you mentioned a lot of stuff there that I want to hit on, frankly. And I think the place I want to start and finish this conversation is with Sean McVay and with the coaching staff, because so much of what we discussed last year was sort of the the way the coaching staff and, and the years and years of hires around that staff and the the speed with which McVay had needed to supplement the staff, uh, really last year being sort of the, the most obvious example of that. Um, you know all all the changes they had to make all all the pieces they had to put together on short notice to get that staff in the building it felt like that had been really difficult for the rams and really weighed on mcveigh how different does the staff feel this year in terms of how they're supplementing supporting the players how they feel working with one another the stuff you hear from the building how mcveigh seems to talk about them you know how how, how different does the staff feel this year than it felt a year ago well, very different, but I think also that a lot of that starts with the top because um, I think that Sean McVay is operating differently this year than mm -hmm. he did last year. And, and frankly, even, um, you know, tinges and flashes of it uh, threatening to leak out or, or crack crack open in, in previous mm -hmm. years as well. Um, this is a, a group, what he, and I, I asked him about this a couple of weeks ago, how do you, how do you go and find teachers and how do you know they can teach versus how you know being being fooled by being able to recite what is supposed to be recited like how mm -hmm. do you know how do you know how really they're going to teach and he said something interesting he was like well sometimes you go out on the field and they you tell them to walk you through a concept or how would you teach this to somebody to a player who'd never learned it before because that was what their task was going to be and mm -hmm. so I just picture the interview process and I kind of get a kick out of what that must have <laughs> <was> like <laughs> with like Ryan Wendell, who has like this wild mane of hair and this giant beard trying to pass set against Sean McVay, which <laughs> would be amazing. Um, but <laughs> so um, it but but it was that was really what it was as as Sean. And, and I've talked about this a lot. And so is he, frankly, um, he had to bluntly um, assess where he was at in terms of terms of his own coaching fundamentals the ability as a coach we know he has um and and certainly it's on display this year and has been in previous years he he uh departed a little bit from those fundamentals and in the chase for getting back to the super bowl and then that pursuit mm -hmm. of innovation while losing coordinator after coordinator assistant coach after assistant coach watching his um process and his plays kind of leak out across the league in that regard Right. Um, and sort of be chased by innovation of his own creation and trying to outrun it constantly. And um, he hit a wall uh, mentally and, and um, you know, personally, and then, and then everything had to change. Everything had to, he had to reboot in a way. And, and going back to the fundamentals was really what this entire team embodied. Um, I, I've always said, and Bill, we've talked about this before on this show, for a lot of these guys in this 
coaching tree, especially the younger ones, um, their teams resemble like where they're at <laughs> personally, you know, yes, the, their absolutely. teams resemble where they're at mentally, where they're at in their coaching journey. Um, for Sean McVay, he is the team is the team is him. Um, and he has returned to fundamentals and building from the ground up personally, as mm -hmm. well as with this team and with this coaching staff. So he sought out people who are going to do the same. He brought, you know, there was going to be, he had, he had ideas about a schematic change as well. Um, finding the right people who could implement that, um, or the people who had the knowledge and the information and could apply it in a way that again, would be from the ground up in a lot of phases of this team. Um, you know, he, he goes out and he hires Mike LaFleur who has mm -hmm. ties and roots back to Kyle Shanahan and some of the, the gap and man blocking things that they overhauled their run game to reflect. Yes. They are now a, a gap and man blocking team dominantly. They do mid and wide zone still, but they've departed from the old run scheme that Sean mm -hmm. McVay initially, you know, kind of, you know, blew open the doors of the league with. Right, just as Shanahan has in San yep. Francisco, where they ran yes. for years um, the old, okay. like, you know, Bronco scheme, the old Texan scheme when Shanahan was the OC there was the white zone scheme. And now Shanahan runs this really wide range of or yes. concepts. And did it, I will say too, in fairness, started doing that before Sean did, because these guys mm -hmm. always <laughs> are watching each other, as we know. Yes. Um, and so to, to give credit where it is due, um, seeing that work you, inspires you to also want to do that thing. Um, and, and that's where the league is moving and, and all of that. That's a whole other podcast episode. Um, but <laughs> perhaps, out... perhaps a podcast series, maybe yeah. that someone <laughs> hey, put out over the summer. Someone should do that. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, and then going, but going out and hiring outside of his normal tree. So that's where he finds Ryan Wendell and Nick Cayley, um, who are both with the Patriots. Those two have made a significant impact on this coaching staff and on this roster, um, Ryan Wendell is the new offensive line coach and Nick Cayley is the new tight ends coach, as has Ron Gold, the new running backs coach, who has a complete college background, a long time and well-tenured and well-decorated college background, but this is his first NFL job. He's a running backs coach. Um, mm -hmm. And on the defensive side, Raheem Morris going back out and, and getting Aubrey Pleasant, who had been with the Rams before um, and is one of Sean's close friends and Raheem's close mm -hmm. friends, but also... Um, understands and really has this knack. They saw this when they first brought Jalen Ramsey in um, through that trade several years ago, mm -hmm. has this knack of, of reaching a wide range of people, personalities um, of teaching, of teaching. And they were going to have, you know, two veterans on their, in their defensive backfield and all mm -hmm. rookie and second year players at that point. So finding people who could meet the moment correctly, but also who could teach really from the ground up. I, I can't emphasize enough how back to basic I've never seen NFL practices like this, basically is what I'll say is where you're re again, you're reteaching the drills in OTAs before you actually run the drills that you need to run in practice. And that was the, that was how shocking and, and the bucket of cold water that really hit everybody. And, and Raheem Morris said they all sat down as a staff and they really put themselves in the shoes and they asked to reframe their own conversation. What would this be like if you were seeing it for the first time? Mm -hmm. And that's how they set about coaching and teaching and, and Sean McVay overhauling his staff in that regard. Um, you know, other people did get opportunities, but he also fired a bunch of people or, or let the, the contracts expire. And mm -hmm. so overhauling and then, but also having the time to do that 
um, with a full pool of candidates versus so late in the postseason when he had had to patch holes before. Um, I thought that was mm-hmm. significant too. Yeah, and absolutely. We talked about that a lot on the show last year, but I think it's really fascinating to hear about just, you know, I, I mean, you don't really think about that, I guess, when you're considering from, you know, sort of the wider perspective as I am, like what teams are going to have to install during an offseason, just literally installing drills during an offseason, I, I think is pretty <laughs> incredible. It was so much work, Bill. Like, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Like it was, you watched it every day and, and I'm like, I can't believe this is where they're starting to. So to, that's, what's so remarkable about this to see where they started really. And, and think to myself, I cannot believe they are starting from here. Um, and then to get to where they are now. Um, it, it's just, again, it, the work that has gone into this is, has been significant. This podcast is proud to be supported by jets pizza. The number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8SAVE. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a Jets pizza location near you. Again, try Jets signature eight corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8SAVE. Jets pizza, better because it has to be. I also want to talk about some of the players as well, of course, Um, some of which you've written about recently uh, in your great work covering the Rams for the Athletic. One player who is not new to the roster. We're going to talk about players who are new to the roster, of course. One player who is not new to the roster, who has broken out in a huge way, is Kyron Williams. And after his rookie season, there was not much talk, much chatter about Kyron Williams. Um, Looked like he was going to be the backup maybe to Cam Akers. And then... He takes over week one. He's been essential for the Rams all season. You had some incredible numbers in your column about how the Rams have been so much better with Kyron Williams on the field this season. So for a guy who was, you know, pretty anonymous last year and now is a feels like such an essential part of the roster for the Rams this year, what's changed for Kyron Williams? How did he get from the guy who was, you know, sort of on the roster but not making a difference a year ago to being so important for the Rams in 2023? Yeah. First of all, he's a natural gap runner. He really understands the way that um, he needs to be setting up linebackers within specifically their duo runs that they that they do. And the way that um, everything is very, it, it makes so much sense to him, the way that that has to be. And he, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield really well. And so those two things combined, once the Rams went fully committed, and I, I would say they first sent the signal that they were fully committing to shifting their run game into something that was much more modern in turn. It's funny, not mm-hmm. modern is even the wrong word, but the, the <laughs> way the league has cycled back around again. They, yes, exactly. It, yeah, it was, it, it was time. And, and um, when, when they drafted Steve Avila with their first pick, which was a second rounder um, this spring, it's massive guard left guard. Who's going to start for them immediately has done a great job this year, but that was the first sign. The second sign was obviously when we're watching in camp, I'm watching them install more duo than they, than they ever had before and thinking, Hmm, something interesting is happening here. And then they trade for Kevin Dotson, who is eventually going to take over on the right side. Also another massive human being. Um, So 
But Kyron Williams, his emergence really goes hand in hand with not only his health and his availability because he ended his rookie season uh, or he had a significant injury his rookie season, but but also with his adeptness and ability to uh, to meet the scheme exactly where it needs to go. Um, super talented runner in the fact that he pretty much seems to always fall forward. Um, he uh, embraces a contact. He understands mm-hmm. how to navigate. Even if um, blocks sort of fall apart, he understands what has to happen um, in that contact. It, he, he's great out of the backfield. Um, he's a great pass protector. Watch him against Wink Martindale's blitzes this last week, and and he mm-hmm. really put on a, a show in that regard. And um, it's all the things that the Rams want out of a lead back. It's just that they hadn't shifted their scheme quite yet to match that. And so Kyron um, emerging at the same time as the Rams have changed and overhauled. I mean, it is by design. You have this player. Mm-hmm. Sean McVay wanted to shift to this a year ago, but had so many injuries in his backfield um, and then guys coming back from major injuries that it just wasn't and then the offensive line injuries. It just wasn't possible. Um, Kyron Williams was drafted to help them usher in this new um, schematic change and then kind mm-hmm. of between injury and then everything else environmentally that happened in 2022, everyone sort of puts it on ice for a year. But this year is what it really is supposed to look like, including the influence of Mike LaFleur, of Ron Gold, of, of Ryan Wendell. Um, you know, th- th- those things are, are all go hand in hand and hand in hand. But I can't understate what Kyron's energy and um, what staying efficient in the down has, has meant for this offense, you know, the, the Rams have, have been in, in recent years, such a flourish team. Um, Sean McVay really, once he got Matthew Stafford corrected so far into um, the drop back game and a, a passing game. And then also um, as he did, so his run game kind of deteriorated and disappeared, but for a really strong November when Sony Michelle and like, 17 offensive linemen were helping them limp through November and um, in 2021. But, but now they have this balance that has really been missing. And again, I go back to it, that the team goes as McVay goes, as the team goes, they have this uh, balance and this uh, physicality that you could see it immediately when they open the season. It's just that they weren't running the ball. Well, they were running it with the 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 theory that you saw they were trying to do it's just that they weren't necessarily in the early games of the year running it well at that point but mm-hmm. once Kyron came back from the injury this year um i don't think it's uh, it is I, I don't think i know it is not a coincidence that Matthew Stafford returning as well as Kyron Williams returning after the bye week um is is the engine that has led to this 6-1 win streak and has carried them into the playoffs Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we've seen so many of the players they drafted this past year play a big role, especially during this win streak. I mean, Puka Nakua obviously, you know, broke out from week one onward at wide receiver as a fifth round pick. But you mentioned Steve Avila has been starting all year on the interior. And um, we've seen Kobe Turner step up and be really a force on on all those, you know, the, the, those sort of TETT games they run with Aaron Donald. Um, he's really been a guy who's come on over the past few weeks, now a defensive rookie of the year candidate. Um, Byron Young has been good on the edge all season. Um, I, I know you and I both know like F them picks was always sort of a misnomer. Like it's always weird to think about that <laughs> when the, you know, the, like in addition to having 
um, many players who were drafted on that roster. The two best players on that Rams team were Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald, who I don't know if you know this, they were drafted by the Los Angeles Rams. Um, but certainly it's, it's felt like the Rams have had so much success and had so many of those young players exceed expectations and not just be viable players all year, but grow into roles and become even better as the year has gone along. And so I guess from your perspective, I'm wondering, you know, do you think they just hit on a bunch of guys at the right time? Or do you think we, there's a group of players here who have gotten better because they've had the opportunity to play as opposed to sitting on the bench behind maybe some of the veterans who would have been here in a more typical year? Well, I think it's both. I think it's both sure. plus coaching. Um, I think it's both plus coaching plus also these players have this um, these these traits that the Rams look for specifically. They, they always look for it, but there was an extra emphasis this last year on um, can you can't necessarily chart um, the amount of capacity that somebody can take on, whether it's reps or um, you know the rookie curve, those types of things. But it, it was something that was an extra emphasis of um, as far as we can ascertain, let's try to ascertain how much of a capacity this person could have mm-hmm. for um, doing these things and doing them right away as the season started and then building off of that. Some of that is, is health. Um, Puka Nakua was... Uh, when he was in college, injuries were a concern for him. And Mm -hmm. so him staying healthy through, I mean, I I say that relative, he's dealt with a lot of different things that he's played through, but um, you know, him being healthy to continue that progression through the entire season has been really important. Kobe Turner staying healthy to continue that progression through the entire season. And then I say progression because they very, they were very intentional with how they built this, uh, the, the teaching progression out and and what steps, what the steps would be and what different phases, how much can they handle at this point? What do we have to simplify here, especially for the young players? I think having Matthew Stafford, having Aaron Donald was significant for the growth of, of some of these players, Aaron Donald. I mean, this does not get talked about, but it should get talked about as much as Matthew Stafford gets talked about as someone who Mm -hmm. has, who took Puka Nakua under his wing. Aaron Donald is like the cool older brother for all of these guys <laughs> in the locker room. It's hilarious to watch the way that he is with them. And he, he, he seems, um, I mean, he's having, he's having fun this year. He's the aging process. It feels has slowed down for him because of he's around these kids all the time, but, but also like they have this um, energy and this joy. There's no, there's no room or time to be tired or to be um, unenthusiastic about what you're doing, because I'd say just as much energy as as he's given to them, they've given back to him. Mm -hmm. So I think that having those guys, having the coaching, but also that trait identification, the Rams, again, the Rams have always done this when they had a top heavy roster and um, they were using uh, this th- a similar version of this process to identify mm-hmm. complementary traits to their core and elite trait players who were like a plus, you know, let's say it's a plus six and you're trying to get to 10. So you only need to try mm-hmm. two plus twos, uh, on, you know, to complement around that plus six. That's what they were always good at. They just reverted and reinvested this into, okay, these are the things that are going to allow a young player to succeed early in their career, plus playing time, plus coaches. So synchronicity had to be there. You had to be sure 
that McVeigh was bought into again, getting back to the foundation of what he was going to be doing, needing how he was going to need to coach as well as the coaching staff. And then, and then those players, I mean, a little luck is involved as it always is in the draft, right? They, they openly admit that as well. They also picked Puka Nakua late in the fifth round, you know, Um, they didn't ignore him entirely, but they also were late on the, on the jump with Puka Nakua. And, but, but it's matching all of those things together. That's where I think it's, when we talk about uh, rookie success or young player success or or any type of success for any team, you can't talk about one phase or another or another in a vacuum. You have to talk about the entire picture at once because mm-hmm. yes, these these young players should absolutely be credited. They are they have a- attacked and approached the work in a way that I I think is beyond all of their years, frankly, um, all of these young, these young players years, but there also was a process and a progression set up for them to do that. And then also um, they were identified as players who could do that. Um, So I think it's, it's, it's everything, um, multiple things at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a holistic approach to this. It's not just, you know, it's not Madden. Like I think, I think we, we maybe, People in the media, myself included, sometimes fans, you know, we think about it like you just pick the right guy and he shows up and, oh, he's great. And we thought he would just be a fifth round pick, but there's so much more to it than that. I mean, we've seen, I think Jared Goff is the classic example of, um, you know, a guy who was the first overall pick, who had that first season with the Rams, was really struggling. You bring in McVeigh, you bring in the right people around McVeigh, you bring in a good staff, you bring in Andrew Whitworth and Cooper Cup and all the pieces they had around Jared Goff and suddenly Jared Goff looked like a superstar and it's not like he suddenly learned how to play football in those the you know the the one off season but you put the right pieces around people and you're going to develop talent I mean that's that it's definitely a more holistic thing than just picking the right guy you mentioned the middle class maybe I don't know if this is the middle class maybe it's just the middle class in terms of experience you know where you have those guys the sort of the you know the the, the pillars you have Donald, you have Cup, you have Matthew Stafford, and then we talked about the rookies. We talked about Kyron Williams. In the middle are the veterans, the few veterans the Rams brought in this offseason to supplement the middle class of their roster. And for so long, it felt like it was just Akella Witherspoon, who's been great this year at cornerback, but it's been more than that. John Johnson, um, who of course was with the Rams originally and then went to the Browns for a couple of years before returning, has uh, eventually taken over as a starting safety and played well. Kevin Dotson um, was acquired before the year and has morphed into a really impressive guard for the Rams. And you wrote about this. You wrote about the pro personnel department with the Rams and the role they've played. So h- how essential have those additions been at turning things around so quickly and and how are the Rams identifying these guys who are, you know, sort of outplaying their salaries and outplaying what it costs to bring them in. Yeah. The the Island of misfit toys as Les Snead calls them. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered how they would feel, how they felt about that, but they seem to wear it proudly. Um, That's nice. Good for them. Yeah. And so you, it's funny. I wrote this uh, for the athletic. They have, they decorated for Christmas. They put little uh, twinkle light characters from that movie um, <laughs> all along the hallway. Um, well, because, and it is funny. It is. They're all people from different backgrounds. There's people from financial backgrounds who the Rams hired. There's analytical backgrounds and who are le- leading their analytics team. Um, there are, you know, dyed in the wool 
football people, scouts and, and people who have grown up in football families, John McKay um, being one, one example of that. Um, but it's interesting. They um, going inside that process because it is significant that mm-hmm. if you are going to use the very tired metaphor, which I ashamedly have fallen into too often this season, because it's just like, I'm tired. This is all I have um, <laughs> of building a house. <laughs> right. Um, you know, they, and, and less need sort of, started us out here with this saying, okay, here are the weight bearing walls. It's Cooper. It's, uh, Sean, it's Aaron, it's Matthew. Okay. Four walls. At least you have that right. Four walls. Don't even have a roof, but you got the walls, that does make sense. but, yes. but then, um, filling in the rest of the house with the draft class, but then there's still going to be holes there here and there that you got to spackle over. It's not going to be a permanent fix, but you have to spackle to the best of your ability to, to weather the four seasons of come what may, whatever. And so um, that's where the pro personnel department has come in. And what was interesting is they utilized, they, they, they consider pro scouting as to be a calendar year um, process. And they mm-hmm. utilized every single piece of the calendar year to find these players and they do it by position. So um, I don't, I've not been in every building, but I do know that not every building does it by position specifically, mm-hmm. but basically they split the players up by uh, the, 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 the NFL players up that they're scouting by position so that they build a, a profile of these players over years and years and years of evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um, and they become sort of the GM of their own, you know, <laughs> four or five positions that they're studying through the course Mm -hmm. of their NFL careers. So this is how you find a guy like Akella Witherspoon, who John McKay, who has corners and receivers um, and and edge rushers. This is how John McKay um, knows that it's time to sign Akella Witherspoon because he has, you know, seven years of scouting information, advanced analysis, GPS data, all of these things that they're gathering on Akello Witherspoon and storing in jars their information um, system mm-hmm. and and continuing to build out his profile of, okay, is this the right time for Akello Witherspoon? Okay, these things. And then the communication with the coach, yes, it is. Let's try to go get him. Oh, and now we have to also, by the way, convince him to sign on a cheap deal. Um, is he in a place where he wants to bet on himself? Okay, yes, we are in a place where we can't budge. Um, and But so they, they do this with, they're pro scouting every year. You see outliers when the process breaks down. Allen Robinson was an example of when the process breaks down. Um, that was purely coaching and player motivated. It happened in about 20 minutes, <laughs> right? <laughs> this was this was Von Miller. Uh, we, they didn't resign Von Miller. It took forever for them to get a decision from Von Miller, rightfully so. He's weighing a huge decision for his life, maybe his last contract. And um, they waited and they waited and they waited, and then it was too late for them to do anything else. And so mm-hmm. Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, and Cooper Cup pushed for getting a, another receiver in, and Allen Robinson was the guy. And it happened it, it, without any of this process being involved. When you look at what the process really is, which is, okay, we have seven years of data mm-hmm. on this player um, it's the same with Kevin Dotson, Matt Waugh, who studies, who works on offensive linemen among other positions. Um, and, and God bless him for the 2022 season that he had, my God. <laughs> well, they, need, they needed him in 2022. <laughs> he was like calling cold, calling people's houses, seeing if he had a large <laughs> son living in their basement. Um, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> so yeah, but, but it was, um, it, it was okay. Uh, he's been studying and charting Kevin Dotson since he first got into the league and mm-hmm. okay. Now you pair down to, we're looking for size here. We're also looking for outliers. Is there a team that is maybe uh, size rich and offensive line rich currently? Mm-hmm. And uh, do we already have an open door with them? Well, I bring up Allen Robinson because, hey, the Rams did have an open door with the yes. Steelers and Allen Robinson at that point. And so they they continued to work that avenue. And, and, and so it's interesting because they had to find these players at different times of the year. Sony Michelle surprisingly retires in training camp. And so they, they go to their emergency list of players. Um, Royce Freeman is on their emergency list, which only is for things like that or for injury Mm -hmm. um, that you can bring into camp immediately. Um, And so it's interesting. They utilized every part, every phase of this is studied at a different point of the year or accumulated mm-hmm. a different point of the year and they use the full calendar year to do so and I think what is interesting is the way that they split it by position um, that's significant and then the communication that they have with the um, with the coaching staff now even though there are new coaches on this staff there is still the the continuity from the top down with um, Les Snead, Kevin Demoff, Tony Pastors, and Sean McVay where there is an understanding of the language of complementary traits. They have used this language in their previous team building model. As we know, we've talked about, I don't need to revisit in this, in this show, but there is an, there is already a dictionary of what it means to communicate complementary traits as an, as a holistic staff. And so then with your parameters, so shrunken in terms of you have no money to spend on guys you need um, to bring in, you're not, necessarily getting perfect players there is an outlier factor to any of of the players that you're bringing in same as when they were drafting complementary traits there you're not going to get a perfect player with a fifth round draft pick i could argue puka nakua might be the outlier for the positive there but you're not going to get a a perfect player with a fifth round you're drafting for traits so they they applied this method and this model to their pro scouting department so now you're communicating with the position coaches specifically for necessary and specific traits. You're not going to get all of them, but you're going to get the ones that matter based on what you are going to do with your scheme, based on what you need to do with the younger players. And so Akella Witherspoon arrives in part because he is the only corner above six feet on their roster. <laughs> and, and and second, because he was willing to take a bet on himself. And I think it's paid off for him. He's had a great season. He's had a groin injury the last couple of weeks, but playing through it. And and he's had a great season, um, but but also his presence, his his calmness and his willingness and ability to ask every question that has mm-hmm. ever existed that helps the younger players in the room. And and the the lack of shyness or reservation in wanting to know the information that is necessary for, even if he already knows it, that is necessary for the entire group to know. That was a character trait that emerged when he and Raheem Morris and Aubrey Pleasant were talking about possibly bringing him in. And he was asking them a ton of questions. They thought, hey, this would be really great for us to have in our position group right now. And so it's it's um, finding and identifying those traits, prioritizing, creating a prior prioritization hierarchy, understanding you're mm-hmm. not going to get everything, but you are going to get the things that you think matter the most. And then depending on a massive accumulation of data uh, that has built out profiles of these players over years and years of studying very specified position groups between all of the pro scouts. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And and certainly 
you know, it, it it's, you hear that a lot from teams. You know, I, I think when we look at things from the, the outside, you know, we think that every decision is made with equal, you know, reservation, that if the Rams are going to sign Allen Robinson, they're thinking about it for six months and you know, maybe they were on the back of their minds, but it, it doesn't always not. work like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was, to be nice. I, I cannot emphasize to you enough. And I, and I really, Allen was awesome and he should, he should have been the plan for him once he got on the field should have been different and it was different in training camp. And I don't know where the disconnect happened, but, um, that, that was, that was not, that was not the typical process. Sure. Of but, right. But I'll, I'll, I'll bring up again, like, like, or I'll just contrast it by saying the Eagles were about to sign Allen Robinson, who got everything right last year. They were about to sign Allen Robinson before the Rams stepped in. The Eagles had to adjust and go to plan B, which was trade for AJ Brown, which looks like it's been a genius move for them. I, I think, you know, there's so many moving parts when it comes to these sorts of deals and it's easy from the outside or maybe maybe just like the reality is like we are we're maybe naive i think from the outside when it comes to how quickly things can move how much the the key players in the organization whether it be a player whether it be a coach whether it be even the owner who ends up making more decisions about personnel than i think people realize for some teams um all that stuff plays such a big role mm -hmm. when it comes to these factors and teams do have to move quickly teams do end up making panic decisions and i think everybody would love to make a move with seven years of of research behind it and i think the rams are really great in putting themselves in a position to be able to make those moves intelligently when they do go through the right process but like you said i think it's really important to emphasize you know sometimes teams panic sometimes yeah. team makes teams make moves that don't necessarily make all that much sense or or or, or don't look great i mean who knows who knows how we feel about the Rams if the Panthers accept the Brian Burns offer last year? I mean, that might have been a great move, might have been a terrible move. It's a great point, Bill, and I think that's why these two years are so interesting to look look at for the Rams, just specifically in terms of their veteran free agency, because Bobby Wagner was a great acquisition for them, but it also was a position that was not necessarily um, moving the needle significantly enough to the win in the win loss record. I mean, he was fantastic for them in so many ways and was key to. Ernest Jones development. Ernest Jones is now one of the best players on their roster and yeah. one of the best linebacker inside linebackers in, in the league at this point. Yep. But um, it was not necessarily something that translated directly into wins and losses. Their Allen Robinson move was an example of uh, a, a very rushed process born out of uh, a situation unraveling in a way that they did not expect. And then this year, but they had the cash to spend. This year, they did not have the cash to spend. In fact, they incurred, you know, over $80 million dead money. They could have, by the way, as an aside, and a particular personal note, uh, because Rams fans know that I harp on this uh, ad nauseum, they probably could have stayed un under $80 million, but they've rolled through five kickers, so they're incurring dead money on cuts. <laughs> um, so um, it's they, – they are um, – it's they they did not have the cash to spend and so you have to there's no other thing to do but to go back to the fundamentals that's the whole point of this season for the rams that is what sean McVay did that is what their front office did that is what their draft and evaluation talent evaluation groups did 
they all had to by necessity because there was no other option based on the contracts that they had on the roster and the contracts they had to get off of the roster. There was no other option but to go back to process and fundamentals. And it's Mm -hmm. in every single area of this team. It's by necessity. And my question will be after this season, which has been a really fun ride, honestly, for everyone, um, will you what how will you look back on these last two years in terms of the process you use not necessarily the results you got you know it, it's such an oversimpl it's it's an oversimplification of things in terms of like i think any any team can go out of the way to say oh this is just the process you know like like and that process could be terrible we don't know but we do have enough evidence here that the rams with one year aside last year have generally been very good about having a process that leads to success and so i think we have evidence that they should be trusting their process, whereas there are teams who have a process that's terrible and, and and trusting their process is going to lead to failure, just failure in their own unique way. Um, that's not the case here with what we see with the Rams. Um, I, I wanted to bring this back full circle and talk about Sean McVay, because I feel like he, like you said, he, as this team goes, as McVay goes, this team goes and vice versa. So much of what has happened here over the past couple of years is so dependent on McVeigh and and how he's changed and he's evolved and I mean just listening to you talk about McVeigh last year, you could sense the exhaustion from McVeigh's perspective about what had been happening, how frustrating the year had been, how long of a year had been after the winning the Super Bowl, the stuff off the field that had impacted him. Um, and we know, I mean, this is not exactly a secret. It's been certainly public at this point for many years now that Sean McVay is open to doing TV and that there is going to be TV mm-hmm. opportunities for Sean McVay when he does choose to retire. So sitting here a year later from our last conversation about Sean McVay, or our last conversation, we talked about the, the Playmakers, the wonderful podcast series you did, but our last at-length conversation specifically about McVay, how different does he feel right now to you? Do, do you get the sense that he sort of sees the light at the end of the tunnel, if that light is television, or do you think he, you know, he's been so refreshed by this year and this process that he is now someone who, you know, will be around for five or 10 more years, or maybe is more likely to do that than he would have been a year ago. Well, I, I wouldn't use the word refreshed. Um, I, I always, you know, the TV stuff's always been real, but it, to me, Mm -hmm. what it, it, in 2022, more so what it represented was uh, an easy way out. And and I say easy, that's not the right word, but a way out to avoid facing the hard stuff. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of it that he created, a lot of it that the team, based on the way that they structured everything to be so uh, codependent on him, um, mm-hmm. the way that the team imploded, um, they all had, again, they had to return to um, a much more blunt assessment of what their fundamentals had to be all all around um the the all of the leadership in that organization um and, and i think it represented for him a, a way to um throw yourself into something else to avoid thinking about what the what you uh left and then why and then also the money probably <laughs> wouldn't have been terrible um but at the same time, you know, and I've said this here, I've said that, you know, I've covered it ad nauseum too. It's like that, that was really very quite real, what he experienced and what he went through. And, and I think that the first thing that started to bring this team back was when he decided he wasn't going to quit because things were terrible and he felt terrible. 
mm-hmm. he had an option and an avenue to do that. And I don't know that anyone would have said, you know, you know, 10 years from now said, you know, it, it, we could relitigate the decision one way or another in the future. But I, but I think that with the understanding of what it would take um, to get back to the things that he had lost or um, mm-hmm. forgotten about, I think when, again, it, in an, in that all out sprint and the f- sort of franticness, the pace, and, and I've talked about this with you, Bill, the pace is what doomed Jared Goff. It wasn't the, the team or Jared himself. It was the pace of getting back to that Super Bowl at that particular time. And it was the pace that doomed Sean McVay. And, and I think that, um, coming back to something, understanding that it it wasn't going to be quote unquote refreshing. It wasn't going to be, it was going to be hard. It was going to be hard work. And he started borrowing this phrase from Aaron Donald, because if you're going to pick someone to borrow a phrase from, (laughs) why not the best player on the planet? Right. Um, and so, um, he's, it's, it's simple. It's work works. And he would sort of repeat this to himself and continue to say this to himself over and over and over again, um, as a reminder of staying present, of mm-hmm. understanding that there was actually, there's actually no end point at this point. And he's talked about this. I've talked with him about this as well. There's actually no, Hey, good job. You made it. You're, you're well again, or like, Hey, good job. You're, you're not, uh, in his words, a basket case anymore. Like he, he says, these are his words. He says, I'm still a basket case and I'm, I'm still the same person. It's just that the perspective has shifted and changed in, in that, um, there's an understanding that there's no, there's no ring that justifies or validates who you are to the people around you or who you are Mm -hmm. as a coach. It's instead, it's such a cliche, but it's true the ongoing process of it that makes the difference. And I think adjusting the perspective to that way, I would not call it refreshing at all. I would Mm -hmm. say that I think he has found himself again through that in a way that um, solidifies his stance in coaching and solidifies his place in coaching, at least through the end of this contract, uh, at least through 2026. We don't know what happens, you know, Kyle Shanahan's words by Sunday, right? But um, I, I don't think returning to coaching was ever a question for him after he decided to come back this last year. I don't think walking away is at all a question um, for him this particular, particular year. I understand people will ask it, and the, the in-house team for the Rams has already kind of done that too. I, I get why they asked the question. It's just to me, from my perspective, it's not a question because of what deciding to not quit has mm-hmm. now come to represent for him and his life and the path that it reset him on. And then the the huge amount of work, um, hard work that went into that in um, being intent, more intentional about how you react when things go poorly and how much of the roster you're reaching versus maybe um, gravitating only towards some of it. Um, how, how much you are thinking about... Um, the growth and development and the progression of 
the little steps instead of the big goal at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, all of the the players feel that um, their team meetings this week, he said the same thing he said every single day is focus on today and work works. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he's, he's been repeating this thing that I think if you think about, it's a, such a simple phrase and, and like the horrifically long t-shirt that they, that they displayed in <laughs> camp, uh, it's easy to laugh about, right? But I think in this case, it, it is there's something really profound in forcing yourself to be present to the point where it stops feeling like you're making yourself do it. You just are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he's found this year. And I do think that that really solidifies um, his position in this kind of this new era of what they're building. Mm hmm yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good way to put it and a really good place to to finish up here. I I hope that we'll have an opportunity to discuss the Rams again. I don't know what will change next year to make our Rams oh, discussion God. so fascinating. <laughs> I don't know what, like, what the next 12 months will bring, but it's always a joy to talk about the Rams with you. Um, you know I'm such a big fan of your work, and I think you do such great coverage of of the Rams over for the Athletics. So please tell people where they can check out all you're doing and what you're working on. Thanks, Phil. I really appreciate you. We always have such a good conversation on these shows that, that I get to do with you. And um, I'm a major fan of you, as you know. I don't know what's going to happen, what the thing will be with the Rams this next year, but you can bet it will be something. <laughs> and so I've got your backs. Anyone who's interested in, in following that, um, I am over at The Athletic at uh, in the Rams section on the NFL project section, uh, working on a couple things. I think people will like both Rams and non Rams in the coming months. Um, and also I'm over on, uh, all the various social media sites, uh, and you can find me there. Um, but please subscribe to the athletic if you really want the good stuff, which is where, uh, most of my work is being funneled. Bill, I really appreciate you having me on today. Of course, Jordan. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic. Definitely love having Jordan on the show. Check her out on social media. Check out her coverage of the Rams for The Athletic. We'll have more audio next week here on The Bill Barnwell Show. It's playoff time. We are actually here for the postseason. Hope you guys are excited for that. We're going to talk about that, of course, in the weeks to come. But until then, thanks so much for listening and more audio on the way next week.